This is Secrets to Win Big, your roadmap to sustained growth. Brought to you by Arjun Sen, founder and CEO of Zen Mango, top brand growth driver and a former Fortune 500 executive who has been called one of the most marketing intelligent minds in the business. Find him at zenmango.com. And now, here's your host, Arjun Sen. Welcome to Secrets to Win Big with Arjun Sen. This is Arjun, and I have the best seat in the house because I have incredible conversations with leaders from all walks of life all over the world. The reason it's very important is each one of us have a different, unique journey. The starting points are different, the ending points are different, and the choice of paths are different. And winning big is very important because those are sustained big-time wins. You know, today's my VIP guest is Bedo Prothopeng, Dr. Bedo Prothopeng. And this is an interview, I have to be honest with you, I was preparing for from day one, because this one is very personal to me. Vedo Pratopine is a brilliant mind, a highly acclaimed scientist who turned into a film director, producer, screenwriter. And in each field, he has excelled. In 1990s, Vedo Pratopine was a part of a team that invented active pixel sensor technology that produced the world's smallest cameras and has been inducted to the US Space Technology Hall of Fame. Vedo also left the science world to become a movie maker and he won national film award for and also for the best film uh, debut film as director for Chittagong as well as awards in several international film festivals. The unique thing about Bedo is when I asked him one time how many patents do you have he said somewhere over 90 and if you google him that's what it says how can you not know the number of patents you have? I know how many I have, zero. And that put into perspective the unique name of Vedo Prothopine. Vedo has received prestigious awards such as the Law Allen Award, Lou Allen Award, NASA Inventors Award, and IIT Kharagpur Distinguished Alumnus Award. Vedo, welcome to Secrets to Win Big. Truly a hey, pleasure. Thank you, Arjun. Uh, it's, it's always a pleasure to see you and hear you. Awesome. So, Vedo, let's go to a totally different path because... I talk to a lot of people who are amazing scientists. As president of NIT, I just talk to some of the highest universal you know, people in the world. Then I've talked to people who are incredible on the creative side. But for you, being the best in both, and by that I mean you're performing at the highest level, I really want to start understanding what does it take the commonalities and differences to use the left side of the brain and the right side of the brain at the highest level? So that's It's a myth. Okay. The left side of the <laughs> left side of the brain and right side of the brain stuff is a little bit of a myth. The level of interconnectedness between brains is is uh, it's actually really really fascinating. In fact, I was giving a talk uh, at Mahindra's and I talked about it mm-hmm. that there is this thing about right side and left side of the brain, but what is missed is the amount of interconnection that that exists, and I think that is probably. One of the elements that has stayed with me all my life, that you know, whatever I do, I kind of try to do, do it in many different ways, like neurons connecting to many different things. So only one thing I would say to, in response to your question, I don't know about the left side, right side of the brain. One thing I had believed from very early on, I think, is that you kind of give your best. You kind of give your, not, not even 100%, more than 100%, 300%, and uh, enjoy the process. You know, which, which sounds weird because, you know, like when you are studying for an exam, it's tough to enjoy the process. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
But there is something about enjoyable about learning something. If there's one thing that has always driven me, and it continues to drive me today, and and in fact, it, it's my biggest fear, is to learn. Mm-hmm. To be able to learn new things, to be able to understand things in a different way, think to see things in a different light, to understand hidden interconnections. And I told you my, my biggest fear. You know what my biggest fear is? What is it? Biggest fear is all the books that I have in my book, I will not be able to read them before I die. Wow. Yeah, you know, but I really want to go back and push on what you just said. Is when you work hard, you have to enjoy. I was having a conversation with one of the top athletes of the world, and I was asking him a very simple question. How do you drive yourself to put in 15 hours a day to maintain current skills and enhance current skills when I can't go to the gym three times a week for 15 minutes, 20 minutes? He said the difference is I enjoy doing it. And for you, you look at that to be a sacrifice. And as, no, seriously, like to me, going to gym is like, okay, I just went to the gym. Like my body language changed like a little boy, like I eat the vegetables. So what, Pedro, how do you, make something which is mundane to all of us, like preparing for an exam, studying hard. You are one of the unique creatures on this planet to have fun out of it. How do you get fun out of something which is mundane to the rest of us? I think the answer is that I actually like to learn. I, I like to know about so many different things. And and every time, in, in, I mean, you're talking about exam. I think exam is a very small way of looking at things. I mean, at, at, at every level, like today, when I when I wake up and I'm I'm reading about 20th century philosophy, what is there to gain for me? I mean, I do. It's there is nothing to be gained. No financial gain. No, you know, I'm not going to be known as a philosopher or anything. But I have this this kind of you know kind of this this kira. We call this kira. This insect in your brain that I want to learn. I want to know why the hell is this this way. Mm-hmm. And maybe, I mean, maybe it, this is something that started very early on. I, I remember as a, as a child, one of the books that I think my father bought me, I can't remember exactly, called Choto Der Bishokosh. <laughs> I don't know if anybody has ever seen this book. It's kind of like a children's Britannica in Bengali style and all that. And I think that set me on this thing that why the hell? Why, you know, why? I mean, I want to understand how these things work. I want to understand how we can make this this thing better you know you know i don't don't know if you remember maybe you maybe you remember those in st lawrence i mean you know i know Arjun for such a long time from class 1 in st lawrence there was a time i was inventing a car <laughs> that runs on water wow of course it's and the biggest time i spent i remember which without, without coming up with a solution is how to break the car mm. <laughs> There was this guy, I think Shantonu Shaha. Mm. Uh, I don't know if you remember. I, I think that's the name. He and I used to re- walk around and I used to tell him that this is the way I can do it. This is the way I can do it. And nothing worked. Mm. But <laughs> but there was this idea to know and idea to do things in a different way. In a different way is what has, I think, driven me uh, all my life. I mean, you know, even, even in IIT, more than excelling in the exam, uh, it was about Okay, how do we solve this problem? Hmm. And I think that has helped me really well. And one of the best exams as a result I took in Columbia University, by one of the professors, he used to come back from a conference and he used to tell electron devices. And he would, the final exam would be, uh, he would give us a device and say, what does this device do? Tell us how you're going to make it. 
Mm-hmm. And he didn't expect us to, to come up with an answer because, you know, that was, that was one of the top, you know, the papers that are presented in, in the conference. But that idea of how we approach a problem mm-hmm. uh, to try to get into the depth of it is what I have driven me on. And, and it continues to drive. And that, along with the fact that I want to do it right. I mean, I don't care what I'm doing. Like, I'll, I'll give you a very simple example. I came back last night at 1 a.m. because I was shooting a video, mm-hmm. which is... Nobody would spend too much time because this is my friend who's written a book and she's being featured and they, they wanted to do a five-minute sizzle on, on her. But I wanted to do it right. Mm-hmm. I could have done it you know, in half a day, but I spent 12 hours because I want to do it right. There's a joy in doing it right rather than doing it in a half-hearted way. I love that. And that's where the fun comes. And when we were talking about breaking a car, going back to my kaku one time, and he was always brought me incredible gifts. One time he brought this red plastic car and he gave it to me and he said, this is a car which is unbreakable. And of course, then my parents, my kaku, they were telling me a cup of tea. A few minutes later, I come and say, kaku, I can't find the fourth wheel. He's like, what happened? I just realized once he gives you a break, you know, unbreakable car, you sit on it. Yes. And of course, he break it. I want to go back to exams. And I want to put set this up with another person who is very close to me, of course, my baby brother. He went to St. Lawrence too. And he was not into academics. He may have graduated, I'm just letting this family secret out with St. Lawrence, with one of the lowest board scores ever. But after that, Oni goes to National Institute of Design and excels like crazy. So today, when I reflect back, I really feel that the education system, the way exams are, could have blocked his life forever and defined him as a loser. You know, what's the balance? You still need some exam situations, but how can somebody like Oni, who is allergic, like I now I know is my brother, instead of having a peanut allergy, he had exam allergies. Okay. And he refused to play that game. Like, what's the answer for us as we create this incredible way of getting talent through to navigate through these exams and everything else? You know, Arjun, this is a very, very, very big question. And I have reflected on this a lot and I have talked about it quite a bit. I honestly feel that our education system is extremely flawed. Not that I'm saying that every, somewhere else there, there is a perfect education system. It's not because, I mean, India has a very specific problem. The, the problem, I think, is that Indian education system, as it exists today, was designed by the British to create uh, clerks. Mm-hmm. And I think that mentality is, I mean, you know, you look at IAS, you know, IAS exam. It makes you cram so many things. Mm-hmm. But it really doesn't give you a hands-on knowledge. Mm-hmm. I think two elements that are tremendously lacking, and it's, it's a much bigger conversation, I think, is number one, hands-on. And I think that's one of the major things I learned when I came to, came to this country, that is to the US, of being hands-on. And I think that's one of the greatest assets that Americans have. And the number two, which kind of goes along with it, is that we are problem solvers. We are, we are not problem creators. We are not taught to create problems. In fact, if you create problems, you are a bad guy. You are, you are in a, okay. a problem child. Mm-hmm. I think the real creativity comes. I think real solution comes when you define a problem very well. I know that, that's why when, when somebody critiques, instead of shutting them up, and this is a problem you know, worldwide, that whenever you question the authorities or whenever you question anything, you know, you're like, okay, why are you questioning? Just, just do it. This, yeah, this shut, works. Shut up and do it. Yeah. Yeah, just do it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the biggest problem that we have. I mean, from early childhood, 
we should be asked to question and we should be asked to create problems. We should be asked to try to go to the where the problem is. You know, a solution is easy once a problem is defined. Half the time I see, probably more than half the time, in every sphere, a solution is not found because you haven't really pinpointed the problem. You're kind of dancing around the problem, whether it's in management. You know, when you're making a movie, it's, it's probably one of the most complicated thing because you are, it's not just a technical thing, it's a very people thing because you have to communicate your ideas to, to somebody and make them do uh, something. Because, you know, somebody who's with you in your filmmaking is f- probably far more talented and far more knowledgeable and far more experienced than you are. Yet you have to have them work. So you have to be very clear about the problem. But whether, you know, what you're talking about, something very similar to was explained to me by Rajat Gupta, Mackenzie Penn, he had talked to me about the same thing in a different way by saying at the beginning, if you do not grab the problem from every possible dimension, you cannot come up with a solution which is an ECE, mutually exclusive, cumulatively exhaustive. Because he said most of us miss the cumulatively exhaustive part. If a faucet is leaking, we replace the faucet. We forget why was the faucet leaking. Why not have a, even ask me, why not have a leaking faucet? Like, what's wrong with the leaking faucet? Like, if you do not understand what's wrong with the leaking faucet, like it's bad for the environment, it's water bill, like your purpose on why you are solving for the problem changes. So I really love what you're looking at. But I want to go back now to something very fascinating is movie making. Okay. And knowing you, like, I just want to understand, like, I know you want to get creative, everything, like, why not start with a book? Why just go into one of the very complicated, because the reason I say complicated is book and everything you can do create solo. A lot of work as a scientist you have done is solo, smaller groups. Now you're going into a really complicated process, maybe the most complicated process of creativity. Why movies? Well, I mean, it's probably a long-winded answer to it, but I think the short answer is that why not? (laughs) It was, you know, at that time... Yes, literally, you know, it's not just books. There's so many other things. Like I I wanted to pick up, I mean, I used to do a lot of, as probably remember, I used to do a lot of painting and drawing and I wanted to pick that up, which which is something that you can do very well alone. I mean, you don't need other people. But I think in today's world, and the world is evolving, movie, movie, storytelling has a visual storytelling, Mm -hmm. has a connection with people that is unparalleled. And I think in last 10 years, things have gone in an even different level with the arrival of digital media and so on. So I wanted to explore that. Literally, I wanted to explore that. There was a a story idea. So, you know, why not? Literally, why not? Let's do it. I mean, I was at a point where I wanted to do something different. I've done my stuff in NASA, you know, inducted to US Technology Hall of Fame, as you said, you know, invented digital camera technology, which had revolutionized, you know, our use. I mean, it's, it's very funny today when you look at a cell phone, Nobody talks about the audio anymore. I mean, can you imagine? It's a cell phone is for communicating via audio, and yet everybody goes by the video. Okay. So we've done all of that. What next? I could have started a, a company. I said, nah. I could have gone into teaching. Sure, could have. We had the story idea. I said, why not? Let's give it a try. Let's see what where it goes. And then you know, once you get into it, there's no pulling back. So let me take two things you said from two different areas. Is doing something new? Why not? And dealing with critiques, because sometimes critiques derail us. I'll give you a simple example. I was 10 years old. My baby brother, Oni, was six. My grandma, Maiji, took us to a local art school. And the teacher was supposed to position us, like, where should we be? 
So I was asked to draw a sunset. You know, I drew the triangular mountains, I did a sun, and I made the sky red. And the teacher looked at me, crumbled the piece of paper by saying, you cannot do paint the sky red. And I, you know, both of us looked at the word cannot in different ways. I felt I was not making it red enough. So this time I put red paint there if I hand and everything made it as red as it could be. And of course, maybe those days in Kolkata, I was trying to make a political statement. I will stay away from that. I'm telling you, I think you're a hidden commie. That, that's I know, it could be. I can do from this. But what was worse was when my grandmother, Maiji, came to pick me up. They just were all praised for my brother and told Maiji that this one, literally the words where there is no, even not a single drop of art in this kid. You're wasting your time. Think the school chose not to take the 200 rupees a month from my grandma for me by branding me. That I never drew anything other than stick figures after, you know, since I was getting close to my divorce and then I started and now I enjoy sketching and art. So the bigger question to this whole thing is, you all get feedback. How can we get the feedback, use it constructively, but stay true to your path? I lost 30 years of my life not painting because of the Bozo teacher, but it's not his or her fault, it's my fault. What can we do? So I think it's a very interesting question. And, and I had to really confront this, really, really confront this in movie making. Because you've got to realize when I went for my movie making, I was a complete novice. I mean, I had never even stepped on a film set before that. I, I'd studied. I prepared myself very, very well. I mean, that's another thing I do. I, you know, anything that I, I want to do, I want to make sure that I prepare very well. So I, I was very well prepared. I knew what I wanted. But yet, when I was on the film set, and it was a huge film with some 200 people on, on set, with cast, crew, etc. Everybody, even the T-boy had more experience than me on, on filmmaking. And as it so happens, everybody would give you, well, to put it politely, feedback which is basically their way of telling you, we know better than you do. You take a vaccine. Let me, right what, well, let me tell you what to do. And yet I knew that there is something great that is coming from, from these people because they are more experienced than me. So I cannot completely ignore them. But if I listen to them entirely, it was a mess. Actually, first few days of shoot was a mess because mm. I was not in control of my set. I did not know how to use this feedback. And mm. then I devised my plan. And that's something that I followed. So whenever a feedback comes, whenever a critique comes or whatever you call it, I kind of immediately rate it and I score a one to 12. Why 12? Because, you know, there's a saying of six of one, half a dozen of the other. So 12. Now, I look at, a, at the topic at hand and I say, in this, how vested I am in this topic. If I think, if, if I say I'm vested in this topic 10 to 12, if I think this is the way to do this, and maybe wrong, but this is the way to do it. No matter what you say, even if you are Einstein or God knows who else, I'm not going to listen to you. I'm going to go with my stuff. If it is between one and three, I'm going to take your advice. Just blind take your advice. If it's in between, I will discuss with you. Love that. It all had to come to us. Amazing framework. So I love the framework. So better with all this, a bigger question. There was a time when Indian movies, the days of Shutrit Ray and you know, Minal Sen, was the North Star for the rest of the world. And then, you know, Japanese movies, Iranian movies, and all over have taken a lot of lead. What can Indian films do, now that you are inside the industry, to get to a point of being the true North Star in the global movie industry? And the first thing the Indian movie industry should do, is, as, which is what I think all the left parties should do, is to retire all those who are in the leading positions. Okay. <laughs> Okay. 
<laughs> people will probably kill me for that. But I think everybody. I mean, I'm sure we will lose a lot of great talent in, in the process. But I think, you know... No, I'm hearing you. I, I just hear you that once you get caught into doing the same thing, same way and get mediocre results, which pays the bills. And I see that with a lot of business clients and academic institutions, you and I both know. But people know that next paycheck is assured and there's no additional incentive to go beyond mediocre. Forget brilliance. Yes. It's just like being alive, you're dead. I see that. And I love what you just said, like in few words. So let's talk a little bit more. What can they do? I got it. Those so, people are gone. You know, you know, the funny thing is that India is one of the big problems of India is that, as I said, I mean, I, I think it started from that element, which we never really, we should have gotten rid of it. Independent India should have gotten rid of it, but it didn't. Is this mentality of being the clerk. So as a result, what has happened is that India is one place where you don't make money by creating something new, something different. Like, you know, in America, a lot of the innovation, a lot of the inventions happen because you say that, okay, by doing something better, by doing something great, we will earn more money. We will be able to sell it better. We will be able to create a new clientele, new new uh, market. In India, it's exactly the other way around. It's your connections. Mm -hmm. Quality be damned. And I think that mentality, it, to the point, I mean, I, I mean, this might even sound weird, that even Netflix and Amazon, when it goes to India, they get infected with this mentality as well. Wow. It, I think it's, it's a very important, that's why when I said I, I was not joking, I think it, there is a necessity, all India-wide, that of the old guard to step aside. And, you know, the new guard and the opportunities have been created, tools have been created. Today, digital media has come to a point Digital distribution, digital movie making has come to a point mm -hmm. where, uh, you know, there can be a lot of unleashing of, for lack of a better word, grassroots initiatives. But what's standing in the way are the old structures. And the old structures are fighting amongst themselves as well. It's not that they're not fighting, but I think they are coming in the way of, we need experimentation. You know, you, you mentioned Shottaji uh, Prey and Nidal Sen and Ritik Khorok and so on. Actually, didn't mention it, but that's that's okay. I got you out of That's okay. But the point I'm making is that yeah. even at that time, if you look at the Bollywood proper movies, they were also going to Khan's. Mm -hmm. Okay, Nicha Nagar was a Bollywood movie, went to Khan. Mm. Right? So how is it that we make these movies and hardly anything goes into goes into it gets international recognition? India still today, Indian Bollywood is, is still known as, as, as song and dance movies. People like it, but then people like porn as well. So to me, am I hearing you right that now we have created a new standard in movie making where if I follow a path which doesn't take me to camps, somehow assures me of local commercial success because of my network? Like, is it? You know, or am I stretching it too far? Like I think you're stretching it too far. I yeah. think you're stretching it too far because I think uh, just because a tool is created doesn't mean that it's going to be used. You know, just no, the movie stars are all in Cannes. Like they are all going to go there and giving interviews. Like it's cool to be in Cannes, but without your movies. Sure. I think what has happened is that even today, the biggest problem is the distribution element. You know, we kind of, I mean, this is probably one of my biggest learning that we kind of think of the film from the story to getting finances, to getting actors, to getting, you know, making the movie. I think we need to start thinking backwards. <laughs> it's where are you going to showcase your movie? How are you going to monetize? Get it out there. Mm -hmm. And then go back. 
And probably there are many different paths that are available today, especially through the digital media. You know, especially with the COVID, one of the things that has happened, and, and, and this is the talk that has started happening, future of film, is this model of going to theaters dead? I know I, I didn't prepare. I could have shown you that there is a presentation I do of the revenues from theater, theatricals versus revenues from digital. 2018 is when worldwide those two crossed. And the crossing is a very interesting thing. It's not just that both of them were going up and one went up a little bit better. Not that. One was flat, the other went exponential. And that's the thing is, what I'm also noticing is, it's not the change, but the rate of change, how fast it's coming. Like think for a second, forget how long it took from cassettes or VHS to get extinct, how fast, forget DVDs, even Blu-rays came and went. And now traditional wired cable is nearly getting obsolete fast. Like me, I really think staying ahead. But one thing I see as you're talking about is slightly different in the business world that I'm living in is for us, it's all about creating content because it's very easy to take content to market. But in movies, as you're talking about, it's still not only just content, but you also have to look at how do you take it to your audience, which is still key. But you know, Arjun, I think that's kind of coming to is that if you talk to India, everybody will say, oh yeah, content is king, we need content. But very quickly, it, it, they, they move around, to, okay, who's the director? Who's the producer? So it's a name. I mean, you know, content should be exactly opposed to name brand. Name brand should be, it, it's a content that should drive it, not the name behind it. Mm -hmm. But very quickly in India, even now, even in digital, we haven't crossed that boundary. And I think, I mean, it's not, I don't mean to say it's all just one and zero. It's not. Life is never in binary in that, in that way. Lots of changes have happened. Lots of great stuff has come out of India in the last four or five years. Thanks to Netflix, Amazon, and, and various other, other platforms, you know, Hotstar and so on. And there is a definite change in quality that has happened. Definite change. I mean, it's unmistakable. But even now, there are gatekeepers. We haven't gotten rid of the gatekeepers. And I think that's probably one of the biggest problems India faces. I, I think one of the biggest things America solved is that these gatekeepers can change very, very quickly. Mm -hmm. And that gatekeeper element is a very big problem. In India. And, you know, talking about India's changes, one of the movies you and I both have followed is recently, or not recently, last year, Shujit Sarkar released his very acclaimed movie, Kulabu Sitabu, straight on Amazon Prime. And getting to know him a little bit, what I learned was making the movie was easy. Getting everybody to believe in doing this, which hasn't been done with a blockbuster, instead of keeping it in a can, and who knows, could have got dated, was a very fascinating journey. Yep, it is. So I want to change gears a little bit. Okay, Mido, you have deep interest, not just interest. Interest doesn't even do justice in every aspect of life. Like with you, we can have a discussion on history, politics, philosophy, quantum physics, like and movie making as we look at. Okay? And also, it's all about technology, absolutely. <laughs> and we'll talk about technology, definition of technology, what it is another day. You are also a cause-based activist because, you know, to me, what bothers me with a lot of individuals is we get intellectual, but don't do anything. Words between you and me about what should happen in the world are nothing. But when you are out with your son out there at a protest or an activism, that's what changes the world. And I'm learning that from Raka too. What makes you so broad-ended, so many areas? What makes you take that extra step to do something different to make it a better world? That's a deep question. 
I don't know if I think so much about about all of those all of that. I don't think so. But again, I think it goes back to our, our, our childhood. I think it it you know, very early childhood. This idea of social, economic, political justice, you know, cause for change has always somehow remained. I mean, you know, I think we grew up in very turbulent times. We grew up in in very very exciting times. One of my earliest memories of a public concert was Bhupen Hazarika. And, uh, you know, I mean, Gonga Tumi, we know all, all love to sing that, that song also. But what he did on that day was he was talking about how songs of rivers all over the world has, have very similar things, similar themes, similar emotions. That stayed with me. You know, to see people connect with that, connect with social justice has remained with me. So, you know, recently, as you know, I started this, this documentary on farm crisis. So... In last October, the farm laws were initiated in India. I studied his research as I always do. And I saw that American situation, American farm policies and initiatives in last four decades have exactly been the same. Like that, you know, it's not a matter of speculation anymore of what these three laws are going to do. It has already happened in, in this country. So I said, then let's chronicle this right away. And in the middle of COVID, in the middle of cold, we went, took a 10,000 kilometer journey through middle of America from Missouri to Wisconsin to Kansas to Iowa. Let's understand what the hell has gone down there. You know, there is a, there is a saying that, or at least I believe, that understanding requires a participation, mm-hmm. an act of finding out. And I think this is one of the elements somehow I see missing in through our education system, in, in all worldwide. I'm not just talking about India. But this act of finding out but okay, let me go and see what the hell is going on. Is one of the big things that are missing. And instead, this is this is where you know the culture of WhatsApp forwards. <laughs> it's become such a big problem that when a thirty-second fact check probably would have told you that this is shit. Ninety-five mm-hmm. percent of the cases, thirty-second if you spent will tell you that it's it's shit. Instead, why don't you want to find out? So this documentary, which is shaping up, which is you know, I mean, I'm. Sure, many people will agree with it. Many people won't agree with it. But this idea that I have to be going to find out with my own eyes, with my own senses, with my own understanding, I have to invest my time and energy. And it's tough, you know, in in that cold to be shooting when your hands are freezing. You don't understand when your hands are freezing, what does it mean when you are in in Wisconsin? and, And you try to put your gloves on and you say that, no, gloves are not going to work because you cannot press the button with the gloves. So you have to take the gloves off. And in the chilling, bone chilling cold, you still have to shoot because a farmer is speaking. Mm-hmm. Because a farmer is talking about his life's experience of how he has lost his farm. You know, you've got to do it. There is this hands-on. There is, there is something beautiful that comes out of doing it. I love the part about participating. With and, you know, I was thinking as you were talking about a few years back, one of the leading presidential candidates, I got a chance to talk to him one-on-one. I asked him a very simple question. I said, sir, just trust me. I have a lot of health challenges because of that. If I try to buy insurance, it's close to $3,000 a month. That doesn't cover everything. My daughter and myself, we have figured this out that if I ever have a heart attack before you take care of me, take me first to my car, take the car on the street first, and then call 911, because then my car insurance will cover it instead of my health insurance. He's brilliant. Okay. This guy has zero empathy. He right away gave me this incredible three-step program. I said, sir, I didn't press a button to get that. 
Let me ask you, your four kids. We all know with children that Friday afternoon after 6 p.m., when regular doctor's office goes, that's where our problems happen with kids. Okay? What did your wife do at that point of time? Manage to ER? His answer was, he looked left, looked right, knowing that it's not getting recorded. He said, I'm not getting your vote anyway. Why am I wasting time talking to you? <laughs> and it, you know, what was sad was, if only he listened to me and participated in a what-if conversation, it was a chance to participate. And I really think that that's the big thing in the business world to everywhere, connecting the thread back about instead of knowing it all. And I love the 12-point scale. Like, if you have conviction on something, move ahead. If you don't know, ask for help or in between. I want to finish the conversation at a very special place, very special to you and also special to me. Your parents, my Mashima and my Meshawashai, have been not only incredible parents to you, but they played a very important role in all our lives as we grew up. I was fortunate to have their love, their inspiration and pampering. Like that combination you do not get from the early days of our childhood. And, you know, whatever scientific things you scientific things you believe in is the formation phase that influence you remember forever. So let's take a moment to reflect on these two amazing human beings and celebrate them. We'll start with Mashima, talk a little bit about her and the influence she had in your life. And then Mashima. Now, these are difficult things to talk about. So, uh, you know, these days, there is a lot of importance given to humble beginnings. We all had humble beginnings. Uh, in fact, I remember that when I was uh, getting into St. Lawrence, one of the uh, St. Lawrence teachers told my mother that, uh, you know, what would these kids, meaning talking about me and, and kids like me, do? Yeah, after all, they don't belong to judges and magistrates uh, and lawyers' families. I know the children of that those families. They are the ones, they, they, will, they will go somewhere. These kids they will go nowhere. I think my mother took it very, very personally. <laughs> And uh, kind of instilled in me that you got to show the world who you really are. And maybe this is the connecting back to all the questions you're asking. Maybe that was, that's one of the things that has always driven me. I love but, the way she called you, me too. I love the way. Like there was, there were of course, different me too's based on <laughs> what you were in for that day. And, you know, I mean, in a very weird way, they were tremendously, she was tremendously permissive. I mean, she was a very religious woman, but she never imposed religion on me. Mm-hmm. She wanted me to study all the time, but never imposed studies on me. I mean, you know, you know that football was one of the things that was, you know, part of a life. And we did in the different time in, in school and then go back home and, and play play football. So I think this this openness and yet that balance between discipline that, okay, this is the time that you have to work. And that permissiveness of doing so many other things is was so, so important about my mother. I mean, you know, I mean, like for everybody, parents are very, very precious things because that's where you get unconditional love. I mean, that, that's one place you get, you give, then you give it to your kids, but you get unconditional love. So I think that's always there. But I think these elements that of trying to push yourself mm-hmm. is something that I got from my mother. Now, from my father, I got something very, very different. It was that first thing I got from him is was music. It is not, not much, not many people know. I mean, he's the one who introduced me to melody. So old Hindi music, old Bengali music that I listened to entirely because of him. Classical music. He introduced me to classical music in his own way. But I remember there was two lessons he gave me, both kind of one in a little bit of violent way and the other was in a non-violent way. The first violent way was that I was playing a game and I was losing and I was acting up. It was a game of Bagatelli or one of the, if you remember, there was a game. He broke the thing. 
broke the board, said that if you cannot play sportingly, do not come to play. And that's something I've remembered all my life. Second is when in class eight or nine, I think, you know, I did, I mean, I, I, there was some math exam, I was just flunking. <laughs> wow. I did very badly. I don't know if it was flunking or not. I did very, very badly. I was, you know, my confidence was shattered. How can I not solve a problem? And I think that's one of the times he, this, he told me that why are you thinking about why you are not able to solve the problem? Just think about enjoying that, that here is a problem. Try to figure out how you can do it. If you can't do it, tomorrow you might be able to do it. Day after tomorrow, you might be able to do it. Why are you banking on everything of solving this today? And I think that's something that stayed with me. That, okay, here is a problem. I shouldn't give up. This problem will, will remain with me. And maybe one day I'll find a solution. So this element of that, I don't have to get instant gratification of, of a thing. That I have to stay on with it. And maybe down the line, I'll find a solution. Maybe I will never. These two things that have, has, uh, has stayed tremendously with me. But of course, all of you know him for his famous food delivery system. Delivery system. <laughs> giving us rides from the... He just always found us when I needed a ride. I don't know how... I think he was ahead of his time. He had microchips on us or something <laughs> like that. But he was always there. Always yeah. there. And Mahima with her food. Well, I'm, specifically, I'm talking about in an IIT Kharagpur when he would come take the 4.30 yes. morning train come and deposit food for all of us, which, by the way, I didn't get, my mother would cook for me, but I didn't get to eat much of it. That's Thanks okay. to God knows, you know That's who. Okay. That's okay. It was, life was not about <laughs> you. Life was about And they will, they will go back and, and go, to, go to his office. Mm -hmm. So, uh, <laughs> mm -hmm. But I love that concept of not stressing everything on now, because that's another thing I've looked at on, with athletes. Sometimes they put this whole pressure on themselves, now or never. They just feel that if this one thing I cannot do now, I'm out of the game forever. You're never out of the game till the game is over. In soccer, we have seen teams score three goals in two minutes out of nowhere because they hung in there. And that to me is such a huge wisdom from Meshwamashai that you talked about to connect it back to. And I'm so proud that Meshwamashai said it first. Others are just following. I'm just going to extrapolate a little bit just because I love him and he's an amazing human being. But I really think that's such an amazing concept that not to put yourself ever in a now or never. There's always an ever. I love that. The only thing I right. would add, Rojun, to that yeah. is that I think the thing that's changing and being a little, little reflective is that uh, perspectives also change when uh, you're on the other side of 50 and, and approaching 60. You know that your time gets limited. So I think, you know, impatient. They say talk about impatience of the youth. Mm -hmm. I think the impatience of the advanced stage is probably even more dangerous. I love that. Well said. There's always a few seconds. So, Vedo, let's think forward a little. The year is 2030. Vedo, and I just save you, most probably there's a Nobel Prize somewhere. There's um, Oscar because I'm biased. Now, Where that's a new be? thing. Oscar and Nobel Prize together. Come on. Nobody has gotten it. I will find myself on stage somehow with you and just do the little <laughs> dance that I'm back. <laughs> Now, in all seriousness, where would Vedo be in 2030? What would you love to accomplish? Where are you heading? I don't know. You know, I, I had, this is something that I have, you know, this might completely come as a counter to everything I say or people generally say, I don't have a goal because I found that as soon as you have a have an end point, as soon as you have markers, you become very limited because now I counter points to that would be, perfectly valid and are valid because if you don't have a goal, how do you go anywhere? 
But I think the point I'm trying to make is that especially now where I am, the process, the journey is more important. Enjoying the journey is more important than where you end up with. Who knows? You know, life is very tough. I mean, you know, it's like we live in a world where chance plays a major role. Who knows what what would happen? I mean, who would have predicted COVID would have taken two years of our life like this? All over the world. All over the world. Who would have thought that COVID would have let us reflect who we are, how our society is organized, how our healthcare is organized? Who would have thought? Yeah. So I think, you know, at one point of time, when, when I, was, I was younger, it was always that, okay, in 10 years time, where would I be? Five years time, where would I be? Let's, let's chart a plan. I think today, my thing is that let me try to do as many things as I can do in the next, you know, what, I have another maybe 20, 25 good years, probably, if that. So I think instead of charting where I would be five years, 10 years, 15 years from now, it would be interesting to see what all I can do in this 2025. I think that's the way I look at life. Thank you, Vedok. Thank you. It's always a pleasure talking to you. Absolutely. So incredibly fascinating conversation. And, you know, I'm fortunate and I wanted to share it at the end that I got to know Vedok when we both were maybe five or six year olds. We were both, before St. Lawrence, we were going into for the exam for St. Lawrence. Like, it's even pre-St. Lawrence that we got to know. And, you know, the journey has been interesting in the sense on one side, Bedo's not accomplishing things, but seeing him work hard to accomplish has been an inspiration to me personally and rest of us. Second, seeing Bedo accomplish things and so glad he never changed also has been a great inspiration for us because people change after they accomplish. And I wish one day, Bedo, you'll figure out the answer to the question, how many patents do you have? Because it's very important <laughs> for me to know that. <laughs> Thank you all. It's Heisenberg's uncertainty principle. You can either have patents or know how many you have them, but not both. <laughs> not both. And I'm on the other category. I know how many I have. So thank you all for listening. Fascinating conversation. Happy listening. You've been listening to Secrets to Win Big with Arjun Sen, founder and CEO of Zen Mango top brand growth driver and a former Fortune 500 executive who has been called one of the most marketing intelligent minds in the business. To learn more, visit www.zenmango.com. Share this podcast with your friends and subscribe wherever you like to listen to podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.